welcome from all of you and uh, I agree this book is fabulous and I think this will be a great session just based on its merits alone uh, even if we do have technical difficulties from time to time and I have to thank everyone at uh, Accessible World for all their assistance to us today as we take our baby steps uh, through this so let's get started with our program I'll tell you a little bit about how we have it organized as a way to have some structure and bones to uh, the meeting. Uh, we did prepare 10 questions, uh, but my hope is that we'll just have a, a good time talking about the book. And if we get to all 10 by the time 3 o'clock rolls around, that'll be fabulous. And if not, uh, we probably will cut off at, at 3 o'clock just because I know uh, you don't have your lives revolving around our session, right? Oh. Okay, you're on. Uh, in addition, uh, Let's start with the first question. I have an easy one for all of you, and that's who was your favorite character in the book? Well, I'll start with her. I, I'm trying to, I read this a while back. Maybelline uh, was a natural. I mean, she she was uh, very courageous. I know there's others that are equally uh, good, but I liked uh, her uh, because she was so good to the little girl, and I forget her name. It'll come up saying you're beautiful you're wonderful always tell yourself that and uh just with the glue the thread through the book and was a very brave woman participants left parent 17 right parent open i really like skeeter but my uh other favorite was uh Win um winnie many many yeah <laughs> sorry but i i liked her you know her spunk and the way she um uh, went about um, helping, oh gosh, I forgot the girl's name, Johnny's wife, but I really liked Minnie. Well, I have to agree with Carla. I thought Minnie um, was quite spunky and quite rebellious in the way that she needed to be, and I really admired what she was all about. My favorite characters I like two of them. I like um, Maybelline, but I also like Skeeter, because I think it took a lot of courage for Skeeter to write that book, and, and then it took a lot of the courage for the other people to um, agree to do the interviews. I think uh, I agree. Uh, my choice was tied with Abilene and Minnie. Uh, Abilene showed a lot of strength, a lot of courage, but I really like Minnie's feistiness. You know, she's the type of person I'd like to be in some respects. I don't know if I'd bake a pie like that, but um, I thought uh, I thought both characters had had great strength. Most of us as adults still suffer from that idea, the adage of having your mouth washed out with soap if you speak the truth or say something that people might not like. So I really liked her feistiness as well. But I also admire Skeeter for writing the book because she had to navigate the waters between both the black and the white community. And along with that, show empathy, try to understand, be patient when they had or needed time to think about whether they wanted to be a part of this book or not. And she gave them that time. She didn't insist. She came from a world in which people would have insisted. She knew she couldn't do that if she was ever going to have a story. I have to really come down on the side of uh, Skeeter. I think it was great how she was progressive in her thinking, even though she grew up 
without the uh, tools really to to look at um, race relations differently and civil rights differently. So I, my hat's off to Skeeter. Okay, go ahead, Tom. Um, I think uh, Skeeter had a lot of compassion for everybody, and she didn't put herself first because she could have been, and her family could have been put in great danger back then. I know a little bit about that time and era. Um, the Richland Library shared something in text chat. Does one of the librarians want to read that, or should I? Why don't you read it, Susan, if you can, please? Hello, this is Ann and Barb. I'm sorry, we had it hidden. So, Richland Library had texted, Skeeter was my hero. She didn't get pulled down by her background. Barb, do you have anything to add at this point? Uh I know some uh, of our listeners, especially the other locations, are new to this uh, technology. So if you're having trouble with the phone bridge or anything like that, text is uh, a good way to get our attention. Um, uh, If you just put a Q and then hit return, that will indicate that you have a question, and we'll try to turn the floor over to you after that uh, if you have a microphone that you can talk. Okay? Okay. Let's be clear here. Hit F8. F8, if you have a mic, hit a Q and enter, okay, or return, whatever, and we'll see it up there, okay? If you um, want to make a comment, you hit F8, make your comment or whatever, and enter, and we'll see it. Susan or Anne or the librarians will grab this. Abilene was my favorite character, um, especially in the way that she dealt with Mae Mobley, the little girl, and... and um, the little the little one too um i think skeeter also came a long way in her feelings when she first started out looking for the stories and how she handled her lack of friendship at the end all her opportunities in jackson drying up and created a new life for herself at the end and always took um the help many and um Abilene's views to heart and really cared about what they thought. And I think she she came a long way in her own journey through editing the stories. One of the characters I want to say something about, she wasn't my favorite, but she was a really good gal, and that was Skeeter's mother. I believe that Skeeter's mother was supposed to die of cancer, and she kept saying, I am not going to die. And uh, she didn't for some time, but the one of the places where I liked uh, was when um, Miss Hilly came into Skeeter's uh, apparently came into Miss into Skeeter's home and things like that and and um, the mother came in yes yes well while Ruth Ann's getting the phone I'll say I really liked uh, Celia uh, she's from one of the poorest uh, cities counties in the state of Mississippi Sugar Ditch and uh, although uh, she probably was a little bit of a, a floozy, I guess, I like the fact that uh, she kept fighting against all those bitchy upper-class uh, women of Jackson and uh, kept, uh, kept her ground. And, and I really enjoyed the relationship between her and Minnie. Uh, I think that was probably my favorite part of the book, or at least I laughed the most during, during those scenes. 
Hi, Alan. Uh, I think this is the Alan that I uh, corresponded with earlier by email. So glad to have you with us. And I have to brag about you for just a second because Alan was nice enough to share with me that he hails from Jackson, Mississippi originally. And I thought that was quite a special treat for us to have a, a native of that town with us um, today while we're talking. Yeah, thanks, Ann. That, that's me. I, I know most of these people on here because I, I, I'm in, a, in a several different uh, groups with them, so a, a lot of the names are familiar. So, uh, And we've discussed the book before, too, in, in some meetings. Yeah, let me say just one more thing about Skeeter's mother. Apparently, Hilly was coming into the house and was going to give uh, Skeeter all sorts of problems. I think she had been into some of her, you know, things that she, Skeeter really didn't want her knowing. And the mother got after her, and she says, "You need to get your hair done. You need. I should make an appointment for both of you to go to the beauty shop." And you know, kind of got uh, Skeeter kind of out of that mess. Well, what I, I want to add that I don't know about liking it, but when the daughter comes down, what was I forget names? Uh, the maid who who uh, had to leave that they loved. Uh, her daughter comes in with a big attitude, and again. Um, Skeeter's mother, now I don't agree with this, but she stood up, this is a southern woman's house, and you will be quiet. And uh, I said, oh man, the class of cultures, this gal coming from Chicago with an attitude, you know, I'm, I'm free, I can do anything I want, and she hit the south, hit the wall there. That's a, that's a great point, Bob. That was uh, Constantine, I believe, was the maid that was uh, uh, the mystery for much of the novel and Skeeter attempted to find out what had happened and the story behind that. And uh, such good uh, characters of all kinds, and so many of them. This could have easily been a miniseries, as far as I'm concerned. Everybody gets to speak. David, did you get to talk? I can tell you my worst, your, my worst character, but I'll let you uh, lead into that, uh, Barb. Well, uh, if by that you want me to say my worst character first, I'd have to say I, I have a real pure hatred for Hilly Holbrook. I just can't stand people like that. Uh, I, we have a consensus in the room, too. Everyone hates her. <laughs> By the way, here at the Lebanon Library, um, at our studio, we do have three guests with us, and Ann and Barb are... Um, when you see my name is talking, I'm Ann, but Barb is doing most of the talking. She's actually our, our host today, and we have three guests here in the studio with us, too. Hi, this is Glenn from Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, Bob, and hi, Ann, and everybody in here. And I have to agree with about uh, Hilly. Boy, she <laughs> she was uh, she was easy easy not to like. And uh, but all I have to say really is I I really enjoyed the book a lot. Oh, hi, Glenn. Uh, Hilly, I got to see if someone comes up with someone else. But Hilly and the pie. I think my wife. I was on the floor. I never laughed so hard in my life. I thought it was wonderful. Bonnie, do you have a question? Oh, this is Joni. Um, Hilly was not easy to like, and I don't think there was anything very likable at, about her at all. And I just want to say hello to everyone in here. I am an avid reader, as my friends all know, and this is wonderful that you're doing this. I have to admit that I read The Help quite a while ago, um, so I don't remember everything about it, but I love the book. I haven't seen the movie yet, but I plan to soon. 
but it was a wonderful book. Barbara, we'd love to hear more from the people that are in the library with all of you. That was what I was going to say before. I think this is such a wonderful thing. I'm a native Pennsylvanian and uh, live in Ohio now, but I think this is absolutely wonderful, and I'm so glad this library is is doing this with us. Um, I grew up about two and a half hours from you, and uh, I think this is sensational. So that's what I wanted to say. You can go ahead. Uh, my name is Larry, Larry Sheep. I'm from Lebanon, Pennsylvania. I've known Barbara for years. She was a student where I was a teacher, and I was at our monthly book club meeting this morning, and she joined us because we hooked in with the author, Stephanie Pintop, and had a conference call. So this library is, first of all, I want to say my, my patent statement. There's a special place in heaven for librarians. So anybody out there who's a librarian, you, you're okay. And uh, this library is, is, we're so fortunate to have it in Lebanon. And, and I'm, I'm making a list of all the states that hooked into this. This is blowing my mind. Despite the fact that I was a little upset about the baseball comments I heard in the beginning since the Phillies are out of everything. So <laughs> keep your baseball business to yourself. But uh, yeah, it's an incredible book. I read it when it first came out and I had to get it back quickly. And um, it's our One Book, One Community uh, choice, which we will discuss October 24th in this very room. And so I got a, a, my own copy from the library, and I am just savoring the daylights out of it. I'm only halfway through the second time. And uh, I am just so impressed with the characters. I, I'm, I just can't understand the mentality that existed at that time. And the neat thing is, like, I just passed the part where they're going to see It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, which was the summer of 1964 at the movies. And uh, uh, Medgar Evers was just shot. And it's just amazing the history that is in this wonderful story. And I couldn't zero in on a favorite character, but I did hate Hilly's guts really bad. You know, so then uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak up. And anybody else want to scoot over and say anything? Yeah, I just wanted to comment that uh, I don't, I can't, I'm blanking on his name at the moment, but I really had a great dislike for. Minnie's husband. Uh, there's just no place in in my brain, anyway, for that kind of abuse. Yeah, he was a, he, Robert. He was a bad guy, Leroy. And finally, Millie gets away from him. But uh, you know, that's right. It was constant uh, abuse, and uh, that was great. Yeah, uh, Hilly would have to be my my least favorite character as well. I only wish I could have been there while she was eating the pie and let her know what it was she was eating, so to see her face. But then Elizabeth Leifold is a real strong second uh, disliked character because uh, she just, uh, the way she treated her kids and stuff just really kind of got all over me. She just, uh, uh, she she would not stand up and do anything. She just did whatever Hilly, t- Hilly told her to. And that just, uh, I just can't excuse that. And the way she treated that little girl, Mae Mobley, just uh, broke my heart. And I, I could not forgive her for it. Yes, I agree with you, Alan. I did, did available not like Hilly at all, but Mae Mobley's mother just really got to me because she, she, like you said, she did everything Hilly told her to, and she really didn't stand up for anything and treated her children so badly. But um, I can't wait for the movie to come out on DVD so I can watch it. I'm hoping that it'll be as wonderful as the book. I've 
like you, I've read it. I'm on my second time too, and I love every each and every page. I have to I have to observe what you to what Alan and Carla said because um, the thing is, what got to me is that Elizabeth did whatever Hilly told her to do. That's what she did. It was like she couldn't think for herself. I must say, I also, this is Emily at the Alley Center, I also had a hard time with uh, Mamo Blee's mom because I'm a mother of a two-year-old and it actually kind of made me want to put down the book. Um, I know everybody's talked about how great the book is and frankly because I had such a hard starting with the book, I'm only on chapter seven, so a lot of this is going to ruin it for me, but I'll keep trudging along and I'll try to enjoy it. <laughs> Well, I guess I want to make it unanimous to say that, yes, Hilly was certainly my least favorite character and least lovable. And, yes, Elizabeth, too. She was, she did not treat that little girl. If it weren't for Minnie, God only knows how that little girl would grow up. Go ahead. I also would like to say, you know, that I really disliked Elizabeth. And I think that the thing that really did it uh, was when Hilly um, said that, May, uh, Maybelline had to go because she had stolen silver and um, Elizabeth, did, you know, she would not contradict Hilly. She just allowed uh, her friend to cause Maybelline to um, be fired. And then that, uh, that heartbreaking scene with May Mobley after that, you know, she just allowed all of that to go on. I agree with, um, of course, Hilly being number one, but my second least favorite was Elizabeth, the way she treated her children and the way that she let everything go on with Abilene um, getting accused unfairly at the end. And also Leroy, Minnie's husband, that was um, another character that there weren't too many redeeming uh, aspects of him for sure. You know, when you stop and think about the characters in this book, this is Bonnie again, one of the things that occurs to me about Celia is that she lived in a very privileged marriage in that sense having married the man she did um, but she was as caught up in a sort of a prison because of her poverty and her feeling of inferiority and where she came from as anybody could have been it was quite a contrast to all of the the, the black maids who were working in the houses uh, who were the difference between the two when you think about her and you think about how hard they were trying to decide and trying to change their circumstances either through work or through finally being able to speak about in writing form what they had been through and how they lived. It's quite a thing to think about when you, when you really stop and think about that, I think. I think Catherine Stockett did a beautiful thing there. I don't know what you call it, but I, I, it was very noticeable. Yes, the help, the maid suffered culturally but so did cecilia a country girl married a, a privileged man who loved her uh, uh other i forget there was another girl in the in the hilly culture who liked uh, johnny was it but uh, cecilia got him and the relationship between minnie and cecilia and when cecilia when minnie i'm sorry for emily here but when minnie saves uh cecilia's life and uh and johnny says you have a, a job for me with me all your life and he figured out too that Minnie was doing the cooking for Cecilia but they 
grudgingly the two cultures came together and many helped her a great deal and she helped many you're up this is larry again uh interestingly enough about cecilia uh, i got the impression right away and i i don't mean to be derogatory but I, i thought it was a good depiction of of what we call white trash in uh literature and uh uh, I thought it was interesting that she married into this kind of lifestyle and strove so hard, you know, she was always having phone calls not returned and so forth and everything. And I, my heart sort of went out to her as well. And uh, a, thi- a, a, a theme that went through everything was the tension in these women's lives over the littlest thing, like Cecilia not having her husband find out that she wasn't doing the cooking and the fact that you know, uh, Minnie was there, and if Hilly comes, uh, you know, for cards, which is what Cecilia wanted to have happen, she would be in trouble. And the fact that they, these women were doing what they were doing in meeting with Skeeter and the dire consequences, the physical harm they could go through, losing everything, you know, it was just like this, uh, this whole thing, you know, I'll lose my job, my daughter won't be able to get a job anywhere because I lost my job and my husband will lose his job. The whole structure of their lives has come crashing down. It just was amazingly written, you know. And, and I started out with the Cecilia thing, uh, but as I said, I thought that was interesting that from that background, she entered into this this world of privilege, and yet she still was, you know, kept, you know, in the, in the dark, as it were. She wasn't good enough, you know, for these other girls. And I thought it was neat that she got the guy that the other girl wanted to call. <laughs> So anyway, but that was my spin on that. One part that I really liked was when um, Celia fought, when that um, intruder came into the yard and Celia fought fought him off and, and practically saved Minnie's life and her own. And I thought that was a really telling part of the book, too, that I think Minnie gradually gained a very, you know, a grudging respect for Celia. And, and Celia just she tried so hard with so many ways to get included in things but she was a good-hearted girl tried to do the right thing and and she really came through hello this is ann and bar we see david has a question yes i'll be brief i just wondered does anybody know anything about katherine stockett is she young is she old is she african-american have, have there been any interviews with her about where this book comes from well, let's, I'm going to yield to Bonnie because she led a discussion of the help in our romance literature group. And I want to say a quick commercial. I hope uh, Barb will get you guys in touch with Accessible World to write me. Let's see if some of you with computers can get in our many, many book clubs. You have a lot of great things to say, and we appreciate that. But, Bonnie, I'm yielding to you. Talk about Catherine Stockett. You did on a Romance Lit. Well, I don't have that information in front of me, Bob. I wish I had thought to do that. But I will say that Catherine Stockett, uh, from my research for the Romance Discussion Group, which I run for Accessible World, uh, is very young. She's, I would say, probably maybe in her 30s, I would guess. Um, she was on 2020 a few weeks ago when they talked about the movie, and so there, was, there were little clips with her. She grew up with... Uh, she's white. Um, she grew up in a family where they had a... Uh, a, a black woman who worked um, in the house, and she, a lot of the feelings that she wrote about and the experiences she wrote about came from her own closeness to this particular woman who worked for her family. 
Because, of course, part of what happens here is that there is a uh, maybe a sort of broken up sort of uh, loyalty uh, sense of, of guilt because, of course, mothers biologically are kind of replaced by the women who work in these homes. The children become closer to them. And um, she was from a, a rather wealthy, comfortable family. And I think that's that her feelings um, about the the loyalties being scattered, um, the love for one versus the other, I think played a big part in her writing this book. And she wanted very much to be able to have this history told. Um, she looked at it a lot from their point of view. And she hurt a lot when the woman that was in her family was no longer with them and so she started to think about it more from the point of view of other women and other children who grew up in those circumstances and from the women who worked in the homes as well and i hope that helps i'm sorry i don't have the information in front of me but uh, she is pretty young and she is white yeah i'll I'll confirm what bonnie said uh this is alan uh She's in her early 30s. Uh, Audible had uh, a little giveaway piece that she did. I think it's called something like Too Little Too Late, but Catherine Stock in her own words. It's about 11 minutes, I think. I've not listened to all of it, but she talks a little bit about some of the background of where she got the story from. It was, I think it was her grandmother had a, uh, had a housekeeper or maid named Dimitri, I think, where, where a lot of her material came from. Uh, this was the family uh, uh, help that uh, Bonnie was referring to. You're up, Barb. Okay. Um, I'd like to add a little something to that. Uh, I also listened to the little interview on Audible, which I thought was great. And then a fellow staff member pointed out to me that the Free Library of Philadelphia had a podcast with Catherine Stockett available. And I have to say, that's my uh, little blurb uh, as far as a fellow library's website. If you have a chance, go out and take a look at that. There's well over 600 uh, podcasts on the Free Library of Philadelphia's website with different authors that they've been recording since 2001. So of course I only had time to listen to the Catherine Stockett one today, but a couple of the little tidbits that she dropped during the course of her her speech uh, at podcast to them uh, was that the book had originally been rejected by over 50 editors before she found uh, uh, someone willing to publish it. Uh, in addition to that, she worked on it uh, for a number of years, uh, but in the final call, she uh, reminded everyone that she really has no say over the cover image or the final uh, title. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other tidbits she raised. Oh, uh, lots of folks had asked her during that podcast that about whether or not she's left the ends open enough to consider writing a sequel. And she said, really, she's more interested in writing a prequel and talking about the lives of these characters before they got to the help. So uh, I think the writing is excellent enough that I'm looking forward to anything she has to offer. I'll second that. Barbara, I think that's really amazing. There, there was a lot of discussion about what she should do, and people tend to want to go into the future with characters, but I think it is far more fascinating with this book to go back to what was happening before because um, like a history teacher I had in college used to do she would tell us a story behind a historical event and then the next day would tell us the historical dates and times and uh, all of the reasons historically for why something happened and I think that if you tell the story first and get people really involved and then you go back and tell the history even if it too is in story form in novel form I think it would be fascinating to know 
because these characters, if you go back to what happened before, what they would have to reveal about all of the things and how they grew up, it it would just be stunning. I would much prefer that she do that. I hope she does. I really do. Uh, one other note before I, I bring up another discussion uh, question for us all is uh, she had mentioned that a serial dramatization was done by the BBC before this was ever produced as a movie. So I'm going to have to hit the internet and see if that was uh, recorded for the uh, public market that that could be purchased. I think that would be excellent because while I, mo- I thought the movie was fantastic, um, they did have to gloss over certain things just to make it fit the two and a half hour format. Uh, but um, I'm hoping that someday they'll, they'll expand it or do a miniseries. Uh, in order to move on to another question or, or discussion, Turner, as it were, um, how do you all feel about whether prejudice is a, a formation of your parents and your immediate family, or do you think society has more to do with how prejudiced a person uh, grows up to be? You know what? I think... It's the family as well as society. I think it's both. I grew up with uh, in an, in country areas in Pennsylvania, and uh, I have noticed in Ohio, in rural areas, we have, we have a lot of prejudiced people. I lived with one for many years, and he was prejudiced against almost everything, it seemed. But I think that primarily, it probably society does come into play, but I think for the most part, it is family that influences um, our choices and what our parents accept until we get to be older and want to defy our parents a little bit or rebel. I think parents have a huge influence, so I would say family is the primary one. I agree. Uh, being from Alabama, I had a Constantine and uh, Maybelline in my life, and my parents traveled a lot, so she was very important to not only me, but my brothers and sisters, and we loved her just like our mother, and she raised us and taught us every, a lot of things that we knew, but our parents taught us not to, to be prejudiced. And that if um, I can remember a, a, a trip we took and we stopped to get gas and she needed to go to the bathroom. And in Alabama at that time, they had different bathrooms and they didn't have one. And so my father refused to buy gas from them. If He said that if he couldn't, if his the lady couldn't go to the bathroom he couldn't buy the gas so we went on to the next stop so i think parents have a lot to do with it yeah i have to say it's uh <clears throat> i have to say it's family i'm sure knowing people all through the years but by saying that or in saying that i have to say that my family was just the opposite they were never uh they were never prejudiced uh my dad worked with a lot of uh, uh, black people in his job in, in Milwaukee. He worked in a meat packing plant. Now my dad, my dad used uh, and my mother used words that we wouldn't use nowadays. They didn't. They weren't. Uh, they weren't users of the N word. They didn't care for that either. But my dad would use words like darky and, and things like that. You know, thinking in later years. You know, we kind of, we'd give him a hard time about it. And he says that was, you know, when he was growing up, 
back in the 1920s and, and so 30s and so forth. He was born in 1911. He said it wasn't, uh, it was it was acceptable. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't frowned upon to call him uh, names like that because that, you know, I, um, you know, my dad, uh, later years, my dad even wouldn't even use those words himself. But I remember when I was growing up, he would talk about, uh, uh, he says, uh, talk about this this one darky at work that he likes a lot. Yeah, I, I would agree with everybody else. It's the, it's it's your fam- your family that's uh, whoever's influenced you during your developmental stage. I think that's where you where you pick up a lot of this stuff. And uh, uh, my parents, you know, were, were have always been real fair about people and and have wanted to do the right thing. And skin color, you know, doesn't have anything to do with it. And of course. You know, you're influenced by the culture you're in, and there's certain things you end up doing a lot of times, you know, to go along, to get along. But uh, uh, you you learn the basic attitude toward your fellow man and stuff at home. Uh, and uh, at least that's that's my take on it. Okay, go ahead. I think uh, this is Camille from the Allen Center for the Blind. I think being an individual, you have your choice. Even as a child, I didn't have parents that would say either way. So I think it's individual on how a person comes across. I think it's more what's in your heart. Hi, it's Anne. Um, Richland Library appears to be having some microphone issues, but they are typing every now and then, and I wanted to read to you their response to the question. They said, in the collective experience at Richland, it is family that plays a large role in prejudice. Yeah, and they just added that they don't have a microphone in. You're on. This is Joan in Lebanon. Um, I think that um, personal prejudice um, depends on the course of your life. Um, For the people who are portrayed in this book as um, having been born into this culture, and that's where they stayed. Um, that is, that, that, that their family attitudes are going to pretty much stay the same. But for people who who got away, uh, moved into another place, uh, another part of the country, perhaps um, either through their work or through college, um, a lot of times their attitudes were going to change because of the peers that that they now began to fit in with. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of societal change um, has happened because of children who who moved away, changed their attitudes, and went back and actually taught their elders a Mm -hmm. different way of thinking. Um, It's like uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash's song in the 60s, teach your your children well and teach your parents well. It really does work both ways. And um, Richland Library has something to add, Barb. I'm just going to speak on behalf of Richland Library again. They said, but look at Skeeter. She didn't have to move to see things differently than her family. Uh, That actually ties in so well with my question about the fact that uh, how did Skeeter escape, you know, when all of her uh, girlfriends that she grew up with were so prejudiced. Well, first of all, this is Bonnie again. Skeeter wanted to be a writer, and so she was used to looking at life from an observational basis. 
and used to thinking beyond where she was. Writers, I think, have to do that if they're any good. And she really was uh, a person who was thinking beyond. She was wanting to move on. I think probably it would have been very easy for her to say, oh, gosh, I grew up here. I don't really care about this place all that much. I've been here all my life. I'm tired of this already. Let me move on. And so, and yet she did the, the most gracious and wonderful thing by caring enough to really understand that history and understand their experience, as I said before. And that's not what a lot of young people would do. She was exceptional in that sense. I, I don't think a lot of people would have done that. Maybe even older people. Sometimes just because you've been in a place, you're sort of involved in a little bit of inertia and sort of deadened to what's going on around you. And you might be projecting yourself onto some other shore, so to speak. And she really didn't. She was really, um, she knew what she wanted, but she also cared about where she was. And that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, hi, this is Larry again. Uh, relative to that last uh, question about Skeeter, I think she was a very intelligent woman. She knew what her goals were, and her goal was like, Dorothy and Oz, you know, to get to New York City where there is a lot of diversity. Even back then, in the 60s, New York was very, very diversified. And I think she was intelligent enough and learned enough in college that what she needed to be as a writer was to change her mentality and to know what was out there. Writers are unique people in that they're they're very observant of what's around them and uh, societally and uh, the things that cross their paths and I think that that was part of her makeup as well because that was her goal uh, not to just write these little things for the local newspaper but to become a writer uh, in New York and in fact well that her editor was Jewish that she she'd never talked to, to a Jewish person in her life you know when she had phone calls back and forth and the, the smoking lady to boot you know I was like whoa <laughs> so I think um, she was very, very bright, uh, very intelligent, and could look beyond. Uh, she was miles ahead of these airhead women that were in this group that she was basically had to be a part of to appease her mother and in that environment. But I think it, I think it was a testament to her character and um, just to her brilliance, you know, that helped her overcome so much. I'm sorry we couldn't hear you, so we overrode. Hi, can you hear us now? Yes, we can. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to add my own thoughts about Skeeter in that regard. Um, I've been thinking a lot since I, I saw that particular question um, about whether or not her education had something to do with it. And I think most of us can agree that any time you get into a new environment, uh, it can open your mind uh, to look at where you've been and, see, and say, you know, do I really want to live, continue to live my life and in that particular way around the types of people I grew up with or or is it changing me in some way to be away from from those people I think college changed me in in many ways and life continues to do that mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, Skeeter did shock me in one way though as I was listening to the audiobook last night I did pick up on the fact that it states in one one portion when she's going to dinner with Stuart's parents that she had never asked Stuart about his views on civil rights. So her whole 
book and her whole uh, mission at this point in her life was to talk to the maids about you know the injustice and the and the cruelty that she saw and yet she had never talked to her fiance about the civil rights movement let's see let me jog my memory when he finds out about it he doesn't marry her though right doesn't don't we get a, a feeling at least i did that he was from the deep southern culture you know this was a good old boy and she was afraid to bring it up to Stuart because she feared that they'd break up the relationship, which he did. Uh, am I wrong on that? I don't know that she finally does tell him what she's up to. And he says, don't say a word, you know, and then he broke up the relationship, as I recall. Well, he had everything to lose. Yes, he was really steeped in that Southern culture. And he was everything that his background was living off the um, the people who worked his family would have lost if he had had to give that up or confront thinking another way. Uh, it, you would have to change your whole way of living, um, and nobody wants to do that. You want to believe that, to some degree, what you were doing is right, and it goes against the grain to think otherwise. I don't think he would have been able to do that. I don't think she would have stayed with him anyway. I really don't think she would have. She was a career woman. She was destined. She wanted certain things. She knew what she wanted. She was going to go get those things. And I don't think they would have stayed together because she could have only stayed with him if she had stayed in that lifestyle in that area of the country, and she wasn't going to do that. Yeah, yeah. Stewart was a, a southern male of means in the early 60s. Uh, I, I'm not surprised she didn't ask or let her let him know about her her views on stuff initially and uh not only that he was a politician's son so uh she would have lost on all accounts and i I, I agree with you bonnie there's uh, she wouldn't have stayed with him she she was too much of an independent thinker to 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 be bossed around by by somebody like him i just wanted to uh segue a little bit uh and give us another question to think about in relation to uh uh, Hilly Holbrook, and we all mentioned earlier about uh, having a real disgust of that character. But in some respects, uh, the author took the time to make it appear that Hilly really loved her children and that uh, she wanted to be a good mother in that respect. Do you think you can be a good mother and, and have that type of bigotry uh, be such a large part of your life? Well, sadly, I think you can. I think you can. And I hope Alan, before he leaves, because we put him on the spot and he handled it so beautifully. I don't think it was putting him on the spot. But we asked him in Romance Lit, has it improved? And Alan had some interesting comments there. And I thought Carla had some, too, if she's around. But, um, uh, yeah, I think she was, you're right. If there's any anything redeeming, she was good to her children. But, you know, from my position, oh, but look what she's teaching them. But she reflects the culture. Remember that, that she, her family, she grew up thinking the help was the help. That's just the way it is. And let's have a separate bathroom for the help, which is outrageous. But we weren't living there. Those were the times. Yeah, I think she, uh, she did, she was a much better mother than Elizabeth Leafo was. I mean, uh, it's like Bob said, she, she did love her children. She, she taught them and raised them as she knew. I mean, she was just she was carrying on the tradition like uh, like she was taught, and, and doing what she thought was the right uh, uh, teaching the right thing. Uh, but uh, 
you know, if you if you judge her from society's viewpoint, you know, you know it's never good to pass law on prejudice, but I mean, it happens. That's uh, uh, that, that's the uh, you know the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree normally, and that's that's the way it is. But uh, uh, you know, to to add a, to, to to respond to what Bob said. Yeah, th things have gotten better at, down here. I mean, it's uh, it, it, as as anybody knows. I think every place probably has some kind of prejudice they have to deal with, just uh, depending on uh, who they're around and stuff. But it takes a long time for that kind of stuff to to uh, to change. But uh, the change is occurring. Uh, the the generations that have come after are, are you know are, are more educated. I think, and uh, I think people are are, are more accepting uh, accepting of. Uh, of, of different cultures uh, than than they used to be, you know, during my time growing up, and I'm happy to I'm happy to say it. It's uh, it, it's 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 good to see. There's still a long way to go, uh, but I think we're I think we're traveling the road to get there. I just wanted to say that part of a mother's job, and I think a father's, as parents, is to give their children what they know, what they have learned, what's been passed down to them, their history, their heritage, their stories along with their love, hopefully. And whatever they have to give is what they have to give. Um, that is what they have, and that's what they, they do. So I don't think that any parent, probably until maybe later if they have other experiences or something happens to make them really think about what they're teaching their children, um, really stops and thinks that much about whether what they are teaching their children is right or wrong or proper or improper. Parents, I think, often tend, until they really begin to question and realize that there's a lot to parenthood, um, until they realize that, I think they probably go for the idea that they're probably right and what they've been taught is right until, as I say, they begin to question. And then I think it changes. And I think that does happen. And I think if you're a good parent, I think that should happen because, of course, we all realize that we don't know everything and never know everything. And that's probably as it should be because that's the way we can have growth and change that really is substantial and meaningful. Well, I just heard the end of that. I, I apologize. I had to step away. But Hillary's never, Hillary is never going to change. I don't know. You know, yes, you're, you're, we're sitting here and this is the 21st century. And we say broaden our minds like, uh, like uh, Scooter did. Skeeter, excuse me. Skeeter went up and got an education, though, and she she was exposed to different things. But I don't think Hilly, the Hillies of that of Jackson, are never going to change. Never a harsh word. I just don't see it. Alan, what do you think of that? Well, uh, based on my understanding of, of, of the character as they drew Hilly, I, you know, I'd agree with Bob. I, I don't think she's going to change. Uh, uh, I mean, change. Change only comes when you want it. I mean, uh, a certain amount of it can come by being influenced by your peers and uh, what's around you. But uh, uh, ultimately, uh, it's got to come from within. The, the person's got to want it to, 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 really, to really realize the, the change. And uh, uh, her character didn't strike me as one that... Uh, felt she needed to do anything differently. Uh, her, her character thought that she was the queen bee and on top of everything. And uh, normally people like that aren't, aren't looking to alter themselves. I think this raises an interesting question, and that is that if change is forced upon someone 
because the society and the culture and the future generations change. Well, you do have to make a you do have to make a choice and a decision. You can become bitter and stay embittered, or you can, I guess, tolerate what has occurred to some degree. That doesn't mean that you embrace it wholeheartedly or that you really change. But change comes in lots of situations, whether you want it or not. Alan, you and I seldom disagree. And, and I do think you have to want change personally inside you. But there uh, is a lot that can change around you societally and within your uh, town or, or country and, and within the circumstances of others that you might have to be uh, have to choose how much you want to be responsive to and that change isn't con- isn't necessarily controlled by you it's only the the changes within you that you control but you might have to react to the others that happen you're up this is Joan um, in Lebanon and um, uh, when I read this book a year ago I realized that these characters were my exact contemporaries which means that now those women are in their 70s. Um, and I, I look at how the world has changed in the South and what's going on in the South right now, and thinking um, they, they, pro- I, I, they, they couldn't get the help anymore that they used to have. Um, things changed around them. Um, the South went through that great um, period of prosperity when all the uh, businesses and factories moved to the south because the help down there would work cheaper. But now all those jobs got shipped overseas and, and they're sitting high and dry the same as we in the northern Rust Belt are doing. Um, their, their world has changed. Um, I, I don't know when, whether Hillary is now a Tea Party member or uh, whether she's getting ready to join the Wall Street um, protest or what's going on with her, but um, things, things are, her world is not the same. And so um, it seems to me she had to do some changing whether she liked it or not. And I'm sure she, she changed. The change that she went through, she went through kicking and screaming. Good point. Very profound, very good thoughts here. Uh, we just finished reading a book called Jarrettsville, a kind of a, you know, true story, but there's fiction on it, whatever it is. And uh, right after the Civil War, and nobody changed after the Civil War for a generation. So yeah, if we if we if Hilly grew with the New South uh, as an older lady now, old lady, if she's still around because she was what in the '60s or whatever, um, be in the '80s. Yeah, change would be external. Now whether she could change from within. I don't have much hope for that. But, yeah, there's external changes. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Bonnie, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that, uh, that, that Hilly wouldn't have experienced change around her. I guess my, I, I still would argue that uh, if the core self of her uh, uh, doesn't take to what's changing around her, and, and you know, if she's 70 now, uh, you know, she, she may go along to get along, and uh, she may... Uh, uh, you know, not say the same words in public that she might have at one time uh, back in the '60s, but uh, I'm not sure her character uh, deep down inside, when she's in a private moment, is going to be uh, any different if if she didn't want to change. Uh, I mean, obviously you've got to 
you've got to change somewhat if you're if everything around you is differently and 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 uh, uh, you have to be uh, uh, socially acceptable and stuff. Uh, you obviously have to uh, play it uh, a certain way, but uh, I, I don't equate playing it something the same as changing. Joan, I want to agree with you wholeheartedly. My name is Joan also, and um, yes, we would be we um, would be contemporaries of I would be a contemporary of theirs now, but I think that Hilly would most definitely be in the tea party. Oh my goodness. Good point. <laughs> yes, there. These are these are such fabulous points. Um, I'm just enjoying this discussion so much. I almost shouldn't be getting paid for this. Uh, but uh, I have a small question that uh, the librarian in me is forcing me to ask, and and so I'm I'm gonna uh, ask this all of you. Um, my favorite part in the book are the little stories that Abilene takes the time to tell May Mobley. And I have to admit, I waited for this in the movie, uh, but I think they just touched on it briefly in the movie um, when she's telling May Mobley the stories about Martian Luther King <laughs> and some of the other little stories that she told her to help help her see that prejudice and racism isn't, isn't the correct way to be and, and to look past that and see the goodness in a person's heart. So uh, how important do you think those stories are to our children? How important do you think literature is when, when we're forming these ideas and, and we're trying to um, make good people out of our youngsters. Well, I'll start. Very important. How many times do you remember, I remember mom or an aunt or whatever, I've got something to read to you. And I fell in love with Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn and whatever else. And I look forward to it. And then when I could read them, when the Braille Library started giving, I'm really dated. They weren't giving to kids then, but they started. Then I took off and I could talk to them about a book that I'd read. Uh, I think I think Mae Mobley, very young, but she'll remember. And she will change. She will reflect the New South as she grows up. I have a lot of, she's the future of the New South. Yeah, th those stories are, are invaluable in teaching lessons and stuff, provided that the person telling them is living them. Because a child will see through hypocrisy faster than anything. And if uh, you're, uh, you know, trying to teach them something and you're not living it yourselves, you forget it because it's not going to go anywhere with them. But uh, if if you're living it, and you can uh, strengthen the, the 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 teaching point with the story that that ties it all down. That's the best thing you can do. And, and those stories she told uh, uh, Mae Mobley were, were, were great. I love that part of the book. The interesting thing, I think, about this book, and probably maybe the most fascinating thing to me about it, is that the women who worked in these houses had a great impact and influence in the future of the South just by being with the children. And it was, I think, rather short-sighted of all of these owners of these homes and these rich, wealthy people, I know that's redundant, to never take into consideration what all of this was going to mean. The seeds were planted every time a black lady was with the children of, of these families because those people had a, a way to, an opportunity and time spent with those kids to be able to 
help them change their point of view and and get them to think differently. And I I guess when I read this, I was astounded at the fact that, like so many times in history and in life, when you look back, you think, well, why didn't they, why didn't these families, why didn't the parents of these children realize that, wait a minute, we're signing our own uh, death warrant for the culture and the lifestyle we had before um, by, you know, it was just so easy for them to go on with that life and have these people working for them. But it makes me curious as to why it never occurred to them that this was going to also be the death knell for that life. I don't know that I could answer that, but as you spoke, I, I, would, I would think that history doesn't occur and change in 10 years. I remember vividly listening to Henry Aaron when he hit a home run the 715th home run, breaking Babe Ruth's record. Henry, who had received death threats from people, saying, if you hit that home run, we'll kill you, we'll kidnap your daughter. And the great Vin Scully said, listen to the crowd. 100 years after the Civil War, they're cheering a black man in the heart of the South. And believe it or not, because I'm not very patient, I learned patience. History takes time, changing attitudes take time. I want it now, but it's not going to happen that way. Those those are all fabulous points. Uh, I'm thinking to myself about the fact that we're talking about lots of different types of prejudice, although we're focusing on on racism. Uh, There are different types of prejudices shown in the book, as we were talking about when we talked about Celia Foote and the attitude they had towards her and, and having labeled her as such an outcast. For, for a dozen different reasons, not just because she was from Sugar Ditch, but, but because of who she married and, and uh, her openness and, and things like that. Uh, are there other, other types of prejudice that perhaps you picked up on in the book? I would say anyone who was a little different and prejudice against, well, that might be a strong word, was even against Skeeter. Skeeter is weird. She's not fitting in. You know, and probably the the greatest a part that might go by some of us, and it almost did my me, uh, was was it Anne who had the skin blemishes on her arms, and um, Skeeter had done something really bad, and she said, "I may be what I am, but a black lady, yeah, her maid sat with her, was it not, while she struggled, I think with skin cancer, whatever it was." She says, but I I can't do much, but I'll never vote for Hilly as president of the women's group again. And that's a stride. That's a step forward. So, uh, yeah, I I think uh, the obvious one to me was the prejudice that evolved uh, against against Skeeter as she was, you know, they caught her with they they got the, the briefcase full of all the civil rights laws and all that that began it. And boy, she was persona non grata as she went along. I also agree. Um, the that was one thing in the movie that I wish that they had put in was um, the the girl. I got the impression that she was self mutilating, that it wasn't skin cancer, that she was um, subject to depression, and her the maid whose grandson was blinded you know, stayed with her and helped her and got her out of bed every day, and she admitted that to Skeeter. And I think that's something that I wish that they had put in the movie because I thought that was one of the most dramatic parts of the book myself. Oh, thank you, Julie. That was it. Uh, you know, I read so many books, I forget them. So self-mutilation, absolutely. And Robert, who was blinded in a, a freak accident, I mean, this white guy beat him up. 
and he lost his sight. Oh, my. Also, would it be possible to get that free Philadelphia Library website, um, you know, about the podcast for the different authors before this ends? Barb is looking it up right now, and we will get back to you on that. I'm going to have to go. Okay, everybody. Um, this is the, the cut uh, and pasted uh, address that I had earlier today uh, for the Free Library of the Blind podcast link. It's http colon forward slash forward slash live web. That's L I B W W. Oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke, folks. Let me start from the forward slash again. Live. L I B W W W dot free library dot org forward slash podcast. Richland Library, I just wrote it too. Can you repeat that again more slowly? I didn't write fast enough, I'm sorry. Okay, let's try this again. It is H. T T P colon slash slash L I B No, excuse me, back up. No, I was correct. Slash slash L I B as in boy W W W dot free library. org and if you want to go immediately to the podcast section it would be forward slash podcast after dot org does that podcast have an S at the end of it or singular it's a singular at the end of podcast just p-o-d-c-a-s-t I'll write to you uh, Barb to get that and spread the word because that's a that's a wonderful service that they do there Hey, I see that Richland Library um, says thank you for a great discussion, exclamation point. It was really enlightening, exclamation point. And they also posted the, for those of us who are cited, they posted the URL to the Philadelphia Free Library podcast. And then they also say if it's in the public chat, will that also be archived? I think, are you talk referring to this podcast that we are in right now, Richland? Yes. Barb, do you want to answer this question for them? Oh. Uh, yes, uh, we will be. Uh, I believe that on, on our behalf, uh, Accessible World is recording this for us uh, because I was scared of having to do too many things and, and perhaps not doing the recording correctly. So I believe Accessible World is recording this for us and then they will send the file to me and we will be posting it on our library system website and this is another web address for you folks if you want to listen to it again later uh, here we go the website is www.lclibs.org that's short for Lebanon County Libraries .org um, and it will be on the page uh, forward slash book talk forward slash again. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, if you go to our, our library system website, you could just Google Lebanon County Libraries as well and get to our website. Um, and then uh, it will be on, on the Book Talk page. Well, if, if we're concluding, I want to thank you all for doing this. It was, it was most enjoyable. I love discussing this book. And uh, uh, Barb and Ann, thank you all for the, the great questions and uh, leading the discussion. It was uh, very nice. Thank, thank you, Alan. Um, Richland replied via, via chat message to us about whether the chat portion will be included in the recording. And my understanding is it, this is just a simple audio MP3 recording that we'll be getting. But Ann and I will make sure that we post a link to the Free Library of Philadelphia podcast site uh, as well on our webpage so you can get to that. The, uh, the chat uh, anything that was typed in the chat will not be included in our recording, unfortunately. I do want to thank everyone that joined us. It certainly made it so much more interesting to have people from all around the country. And I believe, if, if I recall, uh, we have uh, at least five or six different states. I see another question coming in. I'm going to turn this over to Ann. I just noticed that we have two hands raised, and we want to say goodbye to Joan here at Lebanon Library. She's waving as she exits the door. Uh, Joni Leonard? I just wanted to ask if uh, you had said something about the 24th of October, there being another book discussion. This is wonderful. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this, and I hope that you'll do it again very, very soon in our book nook here in Accessible World. Thank you so, so much. And I want to echo that, uh, Barb, you did a great job, and Anne and all of you, Emily, we met last week, and uh, this is just great. Do it again. Pick another book. Oh, my. This is great. You're up. Well, I, I have to admit, I think I have the fever to do it again. I don't think we'll be able to wait a whole year for another One Book, One Community selection, so we'll just have to come up with some ideas. Now, for those of you who still have my uh, email address, I'll repeat it for you again. It's CircDesk, C-I-R-C-D-E-S-K, at L-C-L-I-B-S dot O-R-G. That's my work email here at Lebanon County Libraries. Uh, please, please drop me a line if there's a book you'd like me to uh, cover or consider. Uh, uh, I admit I'm a historical fiction buff, but... Um, you know, we don't have to go that direction, and, and maybe we can find time to do this on a regular basis. The important thing is that I know that we reached out to a lot of people and had an enjoyable event, so please get back to me with your feedback um, if you would. And uh, I appreciate all your time and so many great comments that we had today. This is Susan in Texas, and I just agree with what everybody has said about having the discussion again, and I do hope you won't wait an entire year. Wonderful discussion, and glad we were able to participate. Thank you. Yes, I would like to echo everyone else's sentiments. I think this is sensational, and I'm so glad it was people in Pennsylvania who were part of this. I know I said that before, but that means a lot to me. I'm very Pennsylvania proud. And uh, I wanted to ask a question. A friend of mine says that when, when we've talked about the help, that there were other books that were written that were like the help, but I sure don't remember any. And um, I'm, I know books really, really well. But I was curious to know whether um, any of you at the Lebanon Library know whether there were any other attempts to do this kind of thing um, as Catherine Stockett has done so well. 
Uh, yes, uh, we are looking up some titles right now. We have them almost at our fingertips. I know Ann and I had done a presentation to the, um, the clients at the Susquehanna Association of the Blind and Vision Impaired, which is right here in Lebanon and Lancaster counties. And uh, we had talked to them about some read-alikes. And also, if you check, uh, you can go from our library webpage that I gave you earlier to the One Book, One Community webpage. I know they have posted um, read-alikes and audiobooks of a similar nature there. So I, I happened to see those links myself just last evening. There's at least 10 or 15 links in each of those categories. But I think Anne has something she's going to add for us. Yes, I do. I just typed in the website of One Book, One Community, which is a multi-county um, book club that we have here in Pennsylvania. We do it annually and get m multiple libraries and patrons involved in reading one book to uh, inspire a community, uh, a, a great community discussion. And the address of one book is www.oboc.org. There is a link on their site called If You Liked This Book. And if you type in after the backslash for org, if hyphen you hyphen liked hyphen this hyphen book, um, they used a friendly URL. It will take you to a list of books that are very similar. I can read some of those to you right now, but hopefully you'll be able to, to find that on the OBOC site yourself. They have a, a huge list of books. Uh, they recommend, I think a lot of you might be familiar with Toni Morrison and her book Be Beloved, although that is a very heavy book. Um, I've read that myself, and it it's, has a lot of heavy material in it. Uh, B.B. Campbell, B.B. Moore Campbell is a good author, and she wrote a book called Brothers and Sisters. Um, another book I could recommend is by Ann Rivers Siddons, and that is called Burnt Mountain. Um, just looking down the list to see what I'm familiar with. Here's one by Annie Dillard, great author, Annie Dillard. The Living, The Living by Annie Dillard. And um, some DVDs that are recommended here, too, are Standing on My Sister's Shoulders, Gone with the Wind, Malcolm X, and 1968 with Tom Brokaw. So there are some uh, DVD recommendations for you. What, one that I'd like to see is one we discussed in Romance Lit, uh, discussion group called No Crystal Stare by Eva Rutland and that is the black view middle class black view of the civil rights struggle very interesting it's fiction some fiction but uh, Eva Rutland's life is there she lived it most of it and you know some of it was embellished great book No Crystal Stare S-T-A-I-R are these books that you were telling us about in audio or um Braille, maybe, or I mean, are they available to we blind people? Is what I'm trying to say. Yes, Joni, I think all of those books are available to us. Uh, Burton Mountain certainly is, um, and Annie Dillard. 
I don't know about the living, but Annie Dillard, lots of her stuff is. Um, Ann River Siddons, uh, as I said, is. Uh, Tony Morrison, Beloved, absolutely is. Um, so I think you could find all of those um, either on Audible or our traditional ways of finding books. And thank you for all of that information. And yes, I agree with Bob. No crystal stare. I think it would be a, a wonderful companion piece to this to this book. Uh, and I have had the chance to, uh, through uh, an internet show I do, um, interview Eva Rutland. And I'm really proud to have been able to do that because that I think I will always look back on as a historic uh, experience for me that, that I'll never, ever forget, that I'll always treasure. Uh, yes, I'm afraid I, I didn't do my homework in that regard to find out whether all, the, all of those are available on the NLS bar download site or uh, from some of the major uh, sources like Audible uh, before we came in here. But most of those are popular enough authors, certainly Toni Morrison, that I would certainly expect to find them there. Um, in addition, uh, I guess as it's getting later, uh, I'm going to encourage us to wrap up, uh, but feel free if you have any final questions or comments you'd like to add. It would mean a lot to me, folks, uh, if you would state what state you're from. I know we have folks listening from Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, uh, here in Pennsylvania, of course, uh, and I think someone said Wisconsin at the beginning of the show, but if there's anyone we haven't mentioned there, if you uh, pipe up and tell me where you're from, that would mean a lot to us to know that our little program here in Pennsylvania has reached out to so many areas. Thank you, and uh, I'll let you all finish with any comments you have now. Okay, since I'll be leaving shortly, Bob Acosta, California. Susan Lumpkin, Texas. Nancy Lynn, St. Louis, Missouri, but I'm originally from Pennsylvania as well. Uh, Francis Batula, and I'm from um, South Florida, but originally I was from Pennsylvania, the suburbs of Philly. And um, I just have one question regarding this book. Do, do you think that this book will become a classic? And I'm, I'm just wondering how books become a classic and, you know, who decides that they're a classic and what do they have to go through? Because I, I mean, I thought a lot about this book and I just, just wondered that. I'm Joni Leonard, really Joan, but a lot of people call me Joni because I like it. Um, and I'm from New Jersey. I'm Jim Slagle, also from New Jersey. I'm Bonnie Blos. I'm originally from Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania, but I live in Ohio. Lynn Evans, I'm from North Florida. I think the book is already a classic. Alan Emily, uh, Jackson, Mississippi. Julie Dawson, I grew up in Ohio, but I live in Memphis, Tennessee now. Hi, Julie. I lived in Memphis for 30 years, too, before I moved back home to Jackson. So I hope things are going well there. Well, to, to chime in on the question about classics, um, my personal uh, understanding is that um, it's uh, what theology calls the vox populi, the voice of the people that really makes something a classic. Just as Dickens's works were serialized and became such incredibly popular hits amongst um, uh, the people of Great Britain in his time, uh, that made those items classics. Everyone had to read them after that, uh, after that point. I think um, the fact that an item uh, receives a lot of awards doesn't hurt these days. There are many different types of awards, and if the website is still the same, I think if you go to the website of powells.org, 
That's P-O-W-E-L-L-S dot, oh, I'm sorry, that's a bookshop, I think. It's dot com, probably, not dot org. Uh, they used to list uh, many different types of award winners there if you need to reference that. Uh, of course, you can contact your local library and get some good reference help uh, there with uh, any award uh, types that you'd like to reference, like the Caldecott or the Newberry winners um, or the uh, adult fiction titles uh, or something like the Pulitzer Prize. I think that makes an item a classic, too, and then it works its way into our education system, and it becomes something that our uh, youth can talk about or they can base a project on and, and that helps make it a classic but ultimately I think it's the voice of the people that uh, decide on how great a title is. This is Anne and I just wanted to add to what Barb said I think too that um, the timelessness of a plot and its characters also adds to a book becoming a classic so that something um, still resonates with people in one century that might still have the same type of impact um, that it did when it was written, if it was written in a different century, sort of a, a, a timelessness to it. On uh, November 11, Friday, we're having a major discussion on David Copperfield and certainly Dickens' Encompass Life. That's why I love him. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, someone had asked a question earlier and I just realized that I forgot to answer that about the fact that one of our attendees here at Lebanon had mentioned that we'll be having a book group on October 24th. Uh, at, unfortunately, at this point in time, we had only planned on that being a live group here to talk about um, uh, the help. Uh, but we'll see what we can do. Maybe if enough people are interested in us uh, having the help part two maybe we can we can reconvene and talk about it some more uh let me know what you feel thank you okay if it's uh, all right with barbara we we thank all of you and we're going to officially uh stop the recording